So we are coming to the end of our Great Hope series, and today specifically, I want to talk about what it looks like to hope. Because hope is this really big kind of word, right? And uh, uh, Christmas is a season of hope. Many people kind of say, I'm feeling hopeful. And I don't know about you, but I find like some people say that they're hopeful because it's the end of the year. And they think that just because uh, a December 30, is that December 31? Yes. yes. <laughs> just because December 31 changes to January 1, Suddenly, all the bad luck that was in the previous year stays in the previous year. And the new year, you get new luck. And you're like, oh, excited about it. Woo, I'm so hopeful for the new year. But it's like, is that what it means to hope? Is that really what the Bible means by hope? And over this series, we talked about what the Bible talks about hoping in. And so we spoke about hoping in the second coming of Christ. I think that's a very important message, one that I don't always talk about because it's a little bit funny for me. But, you know, over this having to learn about it, and I'm like, you know, it's really important for us as Christians to remember that this life is not where it's at. We have some tastes of heaven and some amazing things, but God is coming in His glory. He's redeeming, uh, glorifying a new creation, and it's going to be great. That's what it's all about. But in the meantime, we also get to hope for, to shamelessly and audaciously be waiting for the Holy Spirit to be poured out on each and every single one of us. And we have Holy Spirit, and we get to live according to how the Holy Spirit guides us and teaches us, and that is amazing. But last week, we also spoke about how Jesus promised that whatever we ask in His name, which is in His will, He is going to say yes. And that is why the Holy Spirit is important, because the Holy Spirit helps us to know God's will. So there are lots of great things that we get to hope for, so what does it actually look like to hope? Let me first approach this by saying that the Bible has a really, really high regard for hope, higher than I personally have. You know, in 1 Corinthians 13, verse 13, uh, uh, Paul writes that out of all the gifts that God gives to us, he says, and now these three remain, faith, hope, and love. And the greatest of these is love. And we remember this because we say this at nearly every single wedding. Oh, you know, love each other. You must be patient. You must be kind. We just sang about uh, how God is love, and love is amazing. Love is a central part of how God reveals Himself. But then here Paul says, right next to love is faith and hope. And I think faith is another thing that us as Christians, we kind of get. It's like, yep, yep, we must have faith. In fact, we think that faith is so important that we call ourselves uh, people of faith. We are of the Christian faith. And so we kind of get faith is important. I've never heard anyone say I'm of the Christian hope. I've heard people say that we are meant to have Christian love, brotherly love for one another. But no one ever says, I hope like Jesus wants me to hope. But here we have it, faith hope and love as the things, the core, the foundation of what God gives us. And you know, I come from the school of thought that hope is important, but hope is also sometimes painful. If anyone has ever hoped for something before and you've been disappointed, there's this saying that goes around that says, hope is the hope that kills you. I remember when I've been really disappointed and someone says, come on, there are better days ahead. So I don't want to think about that because opening myself up to hope for something is to also believe, um, is to also actually be saying, I'm going to try, I'm going to do something and I could get hurt. And so hope is kind of like, yeah, sure, it's kind of important, but really, is it really that important? How many of us are really hoping according to how the Bible teaches us to hope? Because I think that if we do, and we attach our faith, and we attach love to it, I think we're actually living out the foundational concepts of our Christian faith, Christian philosophy, honestly. By the way, I just want to put this out there. I've been listening to this podcast. Jesus was considered one of the greatest philosophers of his time. He was God. But the people of his day did not think that he was promoting some kind of unreasonable thought. He was on the same plane, if not greater than Aristotle, Plato, Socrates, 
Jesus, the philosopher. You know, they are ancient art pieces dating from just after Jesus' time that painted Jesus as wearing a philosopher's outfit. That was a philosopher's outfit. You know, Dr. Scrubs' philosopher's outfit. I don't know what it looks like, but apparently he, they depicted Jesus as wearing one. Jesus taught a very reasonable kind of life. just want to put that out there. And so our Christian life is actually a Christian philosophy, a very reasonable way of thinking about life. And we're going to go there. Um, yeah, you'll kind of get hints of that today as well. But you know, when I think about faith and hope, those two concepts are linked a lot in the Bible. Uh, we, we hear them mentioned many times together, and so I'm going to treat them in, the, uh, in this message as somewhat linked, and you're going to understand the link later. But one of the things that I have seen and learned um, through my time as a Christian is that faith and hope seem to be treated as unreasonable, the fairy tale stuff. You know, and um, in fact, the Bible seems to indicate that faith and hope are both blind. Let me show this to you. 2 Corinthians 5 verse 7, it says, For we live by faith and not by sight. So if faith is not by sight, that means faith is blind. And then we also read in, uh, let me see, Romans 8.24, it says, Hope that is seen is not hope at all. So hope is blind. And I think that when we take these verses completely out of context and we read them and we go, what is going on? We get the wrong idea of what the Bible is trying to say. And we put our meaning into these words or, or, or the simplest meaning, which often comes from our cultural context. And so when we say that faith is blind and we say that hope is blind, we are saying that they're unreasonable, that they're unrealistic. And so many of us, we live a Christian faith if we go according to that philosophy that if I'm to be a person of faith, if I'm to be a person of Christian hope, then I am hoping and praying and believing for unreasonable fairy tales. And that is not what the Bible describes as faith and hope. When it says that I will not live by sight, uh, I live by faith and not by sight, that hope that is seen is no hope at all. What is indicating, I'm just going to give you the answer at the end, uh, sorry, right now, but you know, you're going to have to study this because you don't have time to go into those two verses. What it's saying is that we are not placing our hope and our faith on the temporary seen things. We are placing it on the eternal unseen things that we have not yet fully gotten, but they are real. Our faith and our hope are always attached to real things if they are to be biblical faith and biblical hope. And so, uh, let me just say this. Biblically, there is nothing blind about our faith and nothing wishful about our hope. If you find yourself with a blind faith and a wishful hope, you are believing in Hollywood. You're going to Disneyland. You're believing that, you know, things are just going to work out. That, you know, snowmen can sing and dance and walk around. That animals can talk. That is the kind of land that you're going into. The Bible does not describe a blind faith or a wishful hope. It describes a grounded, anchored faith and a grounded, anchored hope. And that's what I hope to show you today. And how we're going to do that is that we're going to look into Hebrews 11, which is the Bible's longest description of faith. And so I'm not going to put all the verses up on the screen because there were just way too many. And the poor team are going to be like, where's Nate up to? Where's Nate up to? But let me just give you a bit of background into Hebrews, the, the book of Hebrews and how we got to chapter 11. Hebrews was written, we don't know who the author is, and this author writes about Jesus primarily. He wants people, uh, the Jewish people that are scattered across uh, the world, to know and to ground their faith in Jesus. And so in the first 10 chapters, he talks about different aspects of what Jesus has accomplished. He speaks about how Jesus is the great high priest. He speaks about how Jesus is the ultimate sacrifice. He speaks about how Jesus brings in the new covenant. And he uh, uh, reasons that Jesus is the ultimate present that God has 
given to us. And then it hit Hebrews chapter 10, and halfway through, we have this hinge passage where the author then says, now that you know what Jesus has accomplished, which is amazing and great and, 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 and just like, wow, you live by faith. So this is what he's saying in chapter 10. Uh, the final verse of Hebrews 10.39 says this, For we do not belong to those who shrink back and are destroyed, but to those who have faith and are saved. The whole point of what Jesus has done is not so that we live fearful, shrinking back lives, but that we live bold, faithful lives because we are being saved. Remember the offer of salvation that Jesus has given to us. And so then we hit chapter 11, which is all about what this faith actually is. He begins to define faith. So if you have your Bibles, you can turn to Hebrews chapter 11. We're going to read a whole bunch of it, but we'll just start with verse 1. It says, Now faith is confidence in what we hope for and assurance about what we do not see. This is what the ancients were commended for. Now, faith is a confidence in what we hope for and assurance in what we do not see. Pick up some of those key words there. Faith is confidence and is assurance. Now, when you think about the words confidence and assurance, what comes to mind? You know, as I was thinking about this, looking into this, confidence and assurance tends to be kind of an, an emotional kind of a thing. You know, I have the confidence to do something. How do you have confidence? Well, you know, I, I, I feel pretty good about this. I have been emotionally assured. And so many people take this verse to, to go that faith is about, about feeling really good about what we're hoping for. You know, I'm really feeling good about this, and so I must have a lot of faith. I feel like God is going to come through for me, and so that means I have faith, and I'm activating my faith. But that is, is that really what this is all about? You know, I think sometimes we take that and we butcher this verse, and sometimes we, when someone voices out that they have doubts, that they're questioning certain things, we go, oh, you know what? That means you don't have confidence, and it means that you don't have faith. And, you know, the Bible says that if you don't have faith, then you're not going to see the miraculous power of God in your life, so you need to have more faith. And I said, what does that mean? You need to stir up your faith. And so faith just kind of settled at the bottom of your heart, and it's just like, oh, it doesn't mix very well, so you need to kind of like stir it up so that it kind of comes up. Is that what faith is all about? Now, I was looking into this, and if we can put up on the screen another uh, translation we have in Hebrews 11, uh, verse 1 from the New King James Version. This is what it says, Now faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. So instead of confidence and assurance, we now have substance and evidence. Confidence, assurance, possibly quite emotive, emotional kind of description. And now we have substance and evidence, something that seems a lot more like hardy and, and firm and secure. So is our faith meant to be about how we feel or is it supposed to be something that is really hardy and unchangeable? Or, and what is it? And, and I want to just point out to you, uh, this is one of the great adventures in reading your Bible. When you read a verse and then you go, mm, I want to know what this means, and then you go read another translation, sometimes you can get very different uh, descriptions. Why that happens is because these are translations. Jesus did not speak in English. <laughs> Paul did not write in English. Paul was not white. Paul was not Australian. Paul was Middle Eastern, and he spoke Greek possibly Aramaic as well. And, and, and so what we needed to do is that we needed to translate it into our language. When I first came from Singapore into Australia, I had better command of English than Australians do. Because Singapore makes sure that your vocabulary and that your grammar is of a higher standard than what is served up here in Australia. <laughs> All right? Just putting it out there. I scored better in English than the Australians in my class. I was one of the top English students in Rossmoyne Senior High School compared to all the white people going around saying, well, I'm from England. So well, I did good at English, but when I came here, there were English words that were being used. I was like, what the heck is going on? 
you know, oh, I'm going to wag school today. What do you mean by wag school? How do you wag a school? That is not physically possible. What kind of English are you using? It was crazy. And Singapore uses the word lorry. So I said, oh, look, there's a lorry. I said, that's a ute. What the heck's a ute? It's a utility, apparently, but then you know, ute. So the English that was used in Australia was also having a cultural context that was attached to it. And so when I say wag school, most Australians know what's going on. When I say smoko, you know that I'm not literally going for a smoke, I'm just having a break. We use all of these words with a cultural meaning and a cultural context. And in the same way, Greek, even though there are all of these meanings, there's a cultural context to what is being used. And then there is also a literary context to how Paul was using those words and how he was using it. The translators, uh, uh, you know, a couple of thousand years later, they are reading the manuscripts and they're going like, Oh, that can mean that, 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 that. What is it supposed to mean? And so when we read translations and there is a difference in the way that is being translated, what we know is that the Greek language is rich. It's painting a picture that our English language does not fully grasp. So is our, emotion, sorry, is our faith meant to be a bit more emotional or is it meant to be really grounded? Yes is the answer. Yes. Is it meant to be... Emotional, yes. Is it meant to be grounded? Absolutely. Because the Greek word has this sense of, it's like it's experienced, and so you know in the inner parts of your being. That's what it means by the substance. And in that way, I probably prefer, because in today's context, the emotional descriptions mean that people take faith and they kind of run with it. So I would rather that, you know, use for the rest of today that faith is the substance and the evidence. All right? So I'm just giving you a bit of a sense on how you can understand some of this. And so from verse 3 onwards, the author of the book of Hebrews then goes through a whole list of examples that basically cover most of the main characters in the Old Testament. He's giving you a condensed version of Scripture. And he's using faith to show you how all of those characters lived. And so every single uh, little segment, he says, by faith, by faith, by faith, by faith, by faith, by faith, by faith. We're going to look at a few of these by faiths because we do not have all the time in the world to dissect each and every one of these characters, but I hope to give you a bit of a pattern so that you can actually study the rest of these characters and see what you learn about faith and hope. But I also want you to see that, uh, uh, sorry, the author writes by faith, but the author doesn't say anything about hope. But notice that hope is already linked to faith in the opening verse, which says that faith is the substance of things hoped for. So I want you to be thinking, when we read that each of these characters lived by faith, what were they actually hoping for? How was faith the substance of what they were hoping for? And hopefully from there, you're going to see a bit of an interesting pattern. So let's read verse 3. By faith, we understand that the universe was formed at God's command, so that what is seen was not made out of what is, sorry, what was visible. Now, this is a crazy philosophical statement here. It's crazy. When we read this through the lens of feeling, that faith is feeling, or I feel like God made the world. No, this is what they are saying, that according to our Christian faith, we believe that there is a creator. I looked into this, and in that day and age, there was a raging debate on how the world and the universe was formed. There is this uh, uh, ongoing that continues to today about where humanity comes from. And what uh, was going on was that there were all of these different uh, viewpoints and all of these things, and Christianity comes along and he says, look, at the basic point of all that is going on is that what is created or what is seen needs to be created somehow, right? But then what created, let me see if I can say this correctly. So what we see came from somewhere. And that somewhere probably came from somewhere. 
And then that somewhere came from somewhere. And then that somewhere came from somewhere. Philosophically speaking, we need to either get to a point where nothing created something, make sense? Or at some point, something always existed and was never created. What Christianity has come along and said is that that something that was never created was God. And so we read here, by faith we understand. No, it doesn't say feel. It doesn't say believe even. It says understand. It's Christianity going, this actually makes sense. This is reasonable that we believe that at some point there was a creator. We can argue till the cows come home about whether that creator was our Christian God or some other God, but at some point there must have been a God. And so when we read this, it says, by faith we understand, and this is a really important verse because this deals with all of humanity and all that we are existing for, because if there is a God, that changes how we live. We aren't gods. We are not the center of the universe. We understand that at some point, everything that is came from one who was not created, who has always existed. And our whole viewpoint of life must be in reference to that uncreated God, the creator of everything. It makes sense. If I was to play I've never played Roblox, so I'm going to just say Roblox because I don't understand it. But if I were to play Roblox and create this world, I control what all of them do. They live in reference to what I have created. They don't have an artificial intelligence that tells them how to live their life. We are all created with this link back to our creator, who is God. And so think about that. By faith, we understand. How is that kind of faith a substance of hope? Where does hope come into this statement? Let me tell you what I think. I think the hope is that there is a creator God, and that creator God is the one that is revealed in our scripture, by our Christian faith. And he is a God who is present, who loves and who cares for us, who would die on the cross for us. If I understand and my hope is that that is the kind of God that created the heavens and the earth, I'm going to live in alignment with that God. However, think about this. If my hope is that there is a God who is vengeful, that is angry, that likes to be entertained, think about all the Roman gods that existed at that time. Zeus and Zeus and... All those weird ones with the lightning, the sea guy, you know, the war lady, and you know, there's the mischief. It's like, why is there a God of mischief? Like, how are you supposed to have an anchored hope when you have 20 gods, half of whom seem really weird and out to get me? But me as a Christian, I have a hope in one God who has shown and demonstrated His love for me, and therefore my life is lived in alignment with that faith, with that hope, sorry. Let's keep going. You will see where I'm going to this. Verse 4, by faith Abel brought God a better offering than Cain did. By faith he was commended as righteous when God spoke well of his offerings. And by faith Abel still speaks even though he's dead. This is crazy. Because it relates to us still. When we give, what are we hoping for? Abel gave by faith. And what did he do because he gave by faith? He gave a better offering than his brother did. He gave the best of his flock. Why? Because he had a proper hope in a God who was present, who was love, and wanted to be in relationship with him. He didn't have a God who was distant. I don't know what Cain was thinking. Maybe he was thinking, oh, anyway, this is a demanding God, so I'll just give him the basic demands. And so I'll just give you that so that I get over with it. But Abel's like, no, this is a good God, and I want to be in relationship with him, so I'm not just going to give him the minimum. I'm going to give him my best. 
The author says that is faith. What is faith? The action of giving. The action of living in alignment with hope. I hope you're beginning to see something here. Let's keep going. Verse 5, by faith Enoch was taken from his life so that he did not experience death. He could not be found because God had taken him away. You can read that in Genesis. For before he was taken, he was commended as one who pleased God. And without faith, it is impossible to please God because anyone who comes to him must believe that he exists and, the reward, and he rewards those who earnestly seek him. What was Enoch hoping for in living a life that was pleasing to God? He believed, he hoped that God exists and that he rewards those who earnestly seek him. When I have a hope in a God who exists and who, re who rewards those who earnestly seek him, my faith is to earnestly seek him. See, our hope is in the character and the person of God. That He is a good God. He rewards those who earnestly seek Him. That He's alive, that He's present. My faith is a lifestyle that is in alignment with my hope. Let me say that again. My faith is my lifestyle that is in alignment with my hope. If I were to take the sum of all of your life, see what you do with your time, your finances, and what you are pursuing, I will be able to tell you what you are hoping for because all of us have a faith. Is whether our faith is truly in a God who is revealed in the Bible or a God that you have created in your imagination. I will be able to tell you whether you truly believe that God is good or that you struggle with that concept. Because if I truly hope that God is good and I align my life with that, that will show. It will show. It will mean that I am generous because I know that God is generous. I am caring because God is caring. I will have a moral compass because God has a moral compass. I will say yes to the things that God is saying yes to and I will say no to the things that God is saying no to. But then some of us think that there is a part of my faith that I activate every Sunday when I come to church. But when I go to work or when I spend time with my family, I can live a different kind of lifestyle. That is not faith. That is not substantial faith. That is a faith that is airy-fairy depending on how I'm feeling in the moment, whether I'm feeling secure and good or whether, you know, I, I, I'm feeling scared. Do you know that fear is also based in a hope? It's a hope for a bad outcome. And some of us live as though that hope that negative things are going to happen to us is more worth following with our faith, with our lifestyle, than a God who is good. More of us are scared about the rainy day that could come one day than a God who says, do not worry about your tomorrow because I look at the birds, I look at the grass, I look at the flowers, and they I look after. You can see and reason that I'm a God who looks after you. So why are you fearing why are you anxious? You know, all of us have a faith. When we step onto a, an airplane to go somewhere, I know many of us haven't for a long time, we are hoping that the pilot has done enough training. We are hoping that the pilot isn't drunk. We are hoping that the pilot is having a good day. We are hoping that the engineers that prepared the aircraft had done a good job. Because one small mistake could mean certain death for you. We are hoping that the ground staff have distributed the luggage in a way that the plane is good to fly. We hope, the moment we live out that hope, we put substance to that faith, start to hope, by stepping onto the plane, all of those hopes are now being lived out in me sitting on that plane. 
and I'm demonstrating faith in that moment. Every decision we make is based on our hope. And every decision we make demonstrates whether we have faith or what faith or what hope we are putting our faith in. Our Christian life about hope and faith is all about understanding what we are hoping for, understanding what God has promised, how He has revealed Himself, and then choosing to live in alignment with that. We could read on, by faith Noah, when warned about things not yet seen, in holy fear, built an ark to save his family. What was that hope? The hope was that God is actually good and revealing himself. He's revealing what he's wanting to do. What is his faith? Building the ark. Next verse, by faith, Abraham, when called to go to a place he will later receive as an inheritance, obeyed and went, even though he did not know where he was going. Was it blind? No, because he hoped in the God who had already seen his future. So what did he do? He left, he went, he followed. We could read on and on, and I'm totally running out of time, so I just want to skip on. I hope that I've established that hope in the Bible is how God has revealed himself. The most unchangeable thing that we can base our hope on is God. We can't hope on the weather. We can't hope in our government. We can't hope in your bank account. You can't hope in your job because all of those things change. We can't hope in our spouses because even if they're faithful till they die, they die. We can't hope in friendships because people will come and people will go. We can't hope in myself because I change all the time. When we want to have a real hope, we hope in something that is unchangeable, and that is God. And if God is unchangeable, my faith should be unchangeable. If my hope is truly in a God who has already revealed himself, my lifestyle needs to be in alignment with that. But does that mean that God is good? Old time and God and old time God is good and I place my hope in that and so what happens when bad things happen? I want to read to you Hebrews eleven thirty two. And what more shall I say? I do not have time to tell about Gideon, Barak, Samson, Jephthah, about David and Samuel and the prophets who through faith conquered kingdoms, administered justice and gained what was promised, who shut the mouth of lions, quenched the fury of the flames and escaped the edge of the sword, whose weakness was turned to strength and who became powerful in battle and routed foreign enemies. Women received back their dead, raised to life again. All good stuff, isn't it? Wow. That's what faith can do. We can conquer armies. We can administer justice. We can see the dead raised alive. Second half of verse 35, there were others who were tortured, refusing to be released so that they may gain an even better resurrection. Some feared, some faced jeers and flogging and even chains and imprisonment. They were put to death by stoning. They were sword in two. They were killed by the sword. They went about in sheepskins and goatskins, destitute, persecuted, and mistreated. The world was not worthy of them. They wandered in desert, deserts and mountains, living in caves and in holes on the ground. They, these were all commended for that faith, yet none of them received what had been promised. The author lost me. Did I lose any of you guys? Hope in a God who is good. Our people were sorted too. Oh, I don't know if I want to hope in that God. What is going on? What's the hope? They did not receive what was promised. They did not receive what was promised. This verse is for every person who is still waiting for your breakthrough, still waiting for your healing, still waiting for God to reveal himself in your life. These guys did not receive what was promised. You are not alone in your faith journey. It is not that because you have faith, everything works out. Sometimes because we have faith, things don't seem to work out. But how do we reconcile? How do we reason with that kind of hope? These were all commended for their faith, yet none of them received what had been promised. Don't stop there. 
There's another verse. Since God had planned something better for us, so that only together with us would they be made perfect. God made some promises that were even better than what we can imagine. But the fulfillment of those promises requires our faith in this lifetime, no matter what it looks like, because the reward is on the other side of eternity. And this comes back to the first, first week where we talked about our hope in Jesus' coming back. We are not hoping that this is it. We are not hoping that everything that we want is worked out in this day and age. That is not how it works. This temporary stuff is what trips us up when it comes to the eternal stuff. And we've got to live a life of faith that understands that my hope is not in what is temporary, but what is eternal. And sometimes choosing what is eternal means giving up what is temporary. And that is exactly what those heroes of the faith did. They allowed themselves to be imprisoned. They allowed themselves to be flogged and persecuted. They allowed themselves to be jeered at. They allowed themselves a terrible life in this plane of existence because their hope wasn't that this would work out, but that is what I'm living for. And we read in, in chapter 12, it says, Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, who are these witnesses? All those who have gone before and continue to hold on to faith. This is what it says. Let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles and let us run with perseverance, the rays marked out for us. There is a finish line, people. There is a finish line for us. The finish line is not when I give up. The finish line is when I've done my race. We can choose to give up. But God has marked out the full race. And let us run to perseverance, the race marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter, of faith. He showed us what faith really is. For the joy, for the joy, for the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand on the throne of God. Consider him who endured such opposition from sinners, so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. This is powerful stuff. Is challenging stuff. Do we believe in signs, miracles, and wonders that God brings breakthrough? Yes. And often He does. But more importantly, our hope is not in the outcomes of what God can do. It's in the person of who He is. And the ultimate promises that God makes. I've looked through the Bible. There was many. There was this person that I was really moved once when I was reading this story, this account of a person that did some amazing things for God. And one of the lines was that this guy prayed as though he believed every promise that God had given him. And that really rocked me because I was like, you know, I need to know what God promised me if I'm to pray like that, if I'm to live that out. And I tried to search through it, and I found a few things. But I found, like, it's actually quite hard to know what God has promised me in this day and age. Far more of the promises are in what happens after this time. And I didn't want to put my hope in that. Because I made this temporary world so much more important because it's what I can see, it's what I can feel, it's what causes me to feel. And so what if God promises that one day there won't be any more mourning and grief and pain? If I have to feel that all now, and I struggle with that. I 
I realized that I had to let go of my desire to make the temporary more important than the eternal. I had to realize that there's a lot of good stuff in this time, but this is not what God's promising. But He promises that if I endure, if I run my race, if I push to the very end, that at the end I can say I have run, I have fought, and I have finished. That's where the reward is. This brings to mind, maybe a bit more lighthearted for a second, the marshmallow test. Anyone knows that? If you get a bunch of kids, give them one marshmallow and say, if you can hold off, you get five when I come back. I'm more generous than you, Nebby. Nebby was only going to give two. I was going to give five. I know how quickly Sam eats marshmallows. We haven't even taught him Chubby Bunny. He does it by himself. And in this life, God is somewhat, not Not to degrade us or to push us down, but he says, don't chase after this, because it's that. I realized I was a kid that was like, oh, this, this is good. And I really hope that I've made a decision at the right time. That one day, when this is all ends, I will step into a place where God looks at me and says, well done, good and faithful servant. What is faith? Living a lifestyle in alignment with our hope. What is our hope? Our hope that God is good, that He rewards those who earnestly seek Him, who live according to His will. And there are promises attached to that as well, yes. If we live according to his will, we will see God's yes on our lives. And Jesus promises that it's going to be even greater than what he did and experienced. But not great, how our Western world decides what great is, but great in God's eyes. Great. Can, do you want to get to that place where God looks at you and says, You did great. You did great. Or do you want to have your boss at your company look at you and say, you did great? Which of those are more important to you? Seriously. Think about that for a moment. Who's great are you living for? I want to live for God's great. We have a new year coming. And this is always a time that I know people reflect and consider where things are at. As you reflect, as you think about it, how are you going to grow in your faith next year? How is your life going to align with the hope that you have in God? How are you going to live each moment? How are you going to use the resources that God has given to you? Your time, your energy, your creativity, your gifts, your finances, whatever it is. How is your life going to be aligned with what your hope is. For some of you guys, can I just challenge you as your pastor? You've got more gifts than you give yourself credit for. Come on. All of you quiet because you're scared. What's it going to cost for me to use my gifts? Yeah, it's going to cost you a lot. But the outcome of that cost means that it's not a cost, it's an investment. It's sowing. Some of you have gifts that you don't even want to know. Oh, now you are better. You know what the Bible says? Stop comparing. God has given you a gift. Start using it. Start. Do something about it. You know, I, I did this count just for myself this morning. I don't know why. Been a pastor at Lyft for six years. Not counting all the time that I was a pastor before that. I think I do an average of at least 40 messages a year. And over the last six years, and just six years alone, that means that I have preached over 250 messages. 
I started when I was 29, and I preached over 250 sermons, and that's how I got to where I am. If you think you've got a teacher's gift, how many messages you preach? Two? And you want to compare your two and my 250? Who do you think is better? I'm better. I know I'm better. <laughs> Flip an egg. You look at those musos up there, you go, oh, wow, he's really good. I'm going to start now. Oh, I'm not, good. I'm not as good as Mitch playing the guitar. Because Mitch has put in countless hours. Get off your lazy butt and start playing a few more hours and you might get closer to where he is. You want to love people? Love people. Start today. Oh, I didn't love someone very well. I must not be good. No, stop it. What's your hope in? That God gives crap gifts to those he hates? But God gives good gifts to those he loves. That's what the Bible says. You have given me good gifts, God, and you want me to use it. You have marked out a race for me, and I'm now responsible to run it. Not to succeed at it, but to run it. You know, one of the things I love about parenting is that you can't quit. So even when you've done a terrible day, you can't go, oh, God, you've caught me not to be a parent. So, sorry, Sam. Find a new dad, because I'm not, I'm not it. You know, I've felt that before. If only we would treat all the gifts that God's given to us as though they were responsible. They were like kids. If only you could see on the other side of your gifts and when you get to eternity, how your gifts have impacted people, you wouldn't give up tomorrow. You would keep going because there are people that are meant to be impacted by your faith. What is your faith? Living in alignment with your hope. What is your hope? That God is good, that God is love, that He, he rewards those who pursue Him. Can we get the band up? I don't really know how to land this. Because I just get this sense, this burning in me that's like, come on. Lift up your eyes. Beyond what is happening here and start to choose to live in alignment with the hope that we have in Christ. If you don't know the hope that you have in Christ, read the first 10 chapters of Hebrews. It's dense. It's a bit hard. You can talk to me. You can talk to Beck. You can talk to other people. Help me understand. What's this all about? What's this all about? It says stuff like this. Jesus died once for all humanity. He's not going to die again because he's already done what he needs to do on the cross. It says things like this, that you already have a new covenant that was bought with the blood of Jesus. That God's not going to keep making new covenants until you get a, a better one. This is it. This is the best covenant you can have with God. And what you, what's a covenant is a binding promise that God has put His blood on. It says that we have a high priest who is interceding on our behalf. Jesus prays for you. Probably more than a lot of us pray for ourselves. That's the hope that we have in Jesus. And when you discover that hope, you live, choose to live, choose to live, choose to live in alignment with that. You know, when Jesus had the disciples and um, there were moments of fear that crept in, there were things that you know, stop them from trusting in God. What did Jesus say? Oh, you of little faith. Why did he say little faith? As though there is a large faith and a little faith. I think it's because they took their eyes off Jesus in that moment and they placed their hope in something else. They saw the waves and they thought, oh, those waves are far more powerful than Jesus. So maybe over this break, remind yourself of why we have 
a great hope in Jesus. And I want to pray for people that are struggling with that thought, that we have a great hope in Jesus. If you're at a place where your hope is waning, where you're at a place where other things seem more big, more powerful than Jesus, I want to pray with you that God will remind you of why He is the greatest, why He is the most powerful, why He is Elohim, God Almighty. So that when you step into this next season of your life, you can be full of faith. What is full of faith? Full of alignment with your hope that God is good, that God is for you and not against you, that God is rewarding you for your earnest following of who He is. And after you're seeking of Him, stop seeking outcomes and start seeking God. That's what I want to say to you today. So why don't we stand? I'm going to pray. We're going to close here. Some of you just need to wait and to sit for a little bit just to consider what God might be saying in terms of your next step of faith. But if you're in a place where your, where your hope in Jesus is waning, come forward. Let's pray. Because I believe that God wants you to walk into 2022 with boldness, with faith, knowing that He's able to do exceedingly, abundantly, above and beyond anything that you ever hoped for or could ever imagine. That's the kind of God that we have. So God, I thank you that you are good. Even when we don't feel it, even when we don't know it, I thank you that you are so, so good. I pray to God that we will place our faith in you fully and we will live, we will live by faith and not by sight. Not a blind faith, not an unreasonable faith, but a faith that is grounded, that is evidenced by our hope in you. We thank you, Jesus. I pray this in your name. Amen. We hope you've enjoyed this week's message. Follow us on Instagram at The Live Church or on Facebook at Live Church Perth. That will give you all the up-to-date information about what's happening in the life of our church. Thanks again for listening. God bless.